Hello, Slate Plus members. We wanted to take a moment and say thank you once again for your membership and support, which has become more important than ever, especially in times like these. You're helping everyone at Slate do the work that we do, and we're doing our best to put out the best work for you. Now, if you're a reader at Slate as well as a listener, you may have heard that Slate.com recently installed a paywall, but as Slate Plus members, you have access to everything on the site. As long as you're a member, you will not hit a paywall. All you have to do is sign in at Slate.com slash login. That's Slate.com slash login. And if you have any questions about your account, you can send an email to plus at Slate.com. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Matt Lipchansky, associate editor of The Nib and a cartoonist and illustrator living in Queens, New York. And now, here's our first letter. Whew. Let's move on to something nicer, which is just... Social media? I, it's, you know, it's it's a... It's not grappling with the guilt of yeah. having harmed people when you were closeted and homophobic That's and, true. and dealing with that regret and that pain. Um, this is just like, how do I talk to my boyfriend about Instagram? Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I want to be able to talk about Instagram with everyone who wants to. <laughs> Only if they want to, man. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so the subject here is social media and dating. And it's just a nice, nice problem that I, I just, I like and I wish I could keep it as a pet. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend of a year used to share more on social media when he was dating his ex a few years ago. Now he's more private and only shares occasionally, mostly pictures of his dog or sometimes my dogs. However, he still has a lot of old pictures of his ex from when they were dating and lived together. I don't want him to delete them and I don't want him to feel like he has to post more pictures of us if that's not what he wants to do. I've talked to him about it and admitted that I'm embarrassed that it bothers me, but it does. He said he feels like social media is toxic and the way that he shared about that relationship was toxic and that he's more private now, which makes him comfortable. I get that. I just don't know how to reconcile the fact that he might never want to share pictures of us and will always have more pictures of them on social media than he does of us. I've met his friends. I've met his family. I've even met his ex, who's a part of his friend group, and he speaks nicely of to me all the time. So it's not a question of him not sharing parts of his life with me, keeping a secret. It's more that he just doesn't want to be that person anymore. Should I be bothered by this? How can I feel more comfortable with it? Yeah, to me, this is like a trust exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, do you believe that he is just being private? Mm-hmm. And it seems like from his actual posting that he is to me. Yeah. Um, and maybe his uh, his version of uh, posting photos of you is posting photos of your dogs instead of his own dogs. I thought that that was kind of a sweet compromise, yeah. too. Honestly. Yeah. Like, and the thing is, like, you know, maybe he does really think social media is toxic. And I think it's just a matter of... Um, do you take him at his word or not? Yeah. To me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an opportunity for curiosity because if yeah. he speaks well of the ex, um, I'd be curious to know more about like why he felt like he was sharing about their relationship on social media in like a quote unquote toxic way. I, I think that's just mostly because when somebody uses the word toxic, I always get curious. I'm like, what yeah. are five synonyms that you would use for that yeah. word instead? I'd like, I'd like to know why your ex-girlfriend that you're still friends with uh, – 
how Instagram ruined your relationship. Right. And that doesn't doesn't mean you have to ask it in an antagonistic way. He could just be like, I felt super insecure all the time. And so I posted pictures a lot because I wanted people to think that I had this great life. Actually, things weren't going that great and we're better off as friends. Or, yeah, I would just be curious. I would just ask more. And it wouldn't be in a like... Prove to me what you mean by toxic. And if you can't come up with a good enough reason, post eight pictures of us tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, you know, ask more questions about that. Certainly you can ask, like, would you be comfortable if I shared a picture of us on social media? You know, you could talk to him about how you feel about Instagram and whether or not you find your relationship to it healthy or compulsive. Again, trying to avoid the use of the word toxic whenever possible. But yeah, I I also think... You know, have the conversations, assume that he's going to continue to not post pictures of the two of you, find a way to both, you know, allow yourself to feel bummed out about it and then find a way to say life will have to go on. We will have to find other ways of being close. Yeah, I think I think also like as a as a heavy social media user myself, as a professional poster, I have um, sometimes texted you log off, Matt, uh, and you, you have, have done to me. Yeah, that's fine. And sometimes I text in my tweets. It's fine. Anyways, yep, yep. Uh, but as, as a person who uses social media a lot, I would say that sometimes it is hard to conceive of a person who doesn't see the utility of it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But that is uh, most people. So Most like, of the time, yeah. Most people, most of the time. Um, so I think it's sort of, uh, yeah, there's a really good chance he does feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, and I just hope you have a great time with one another's dogs and meeting each other's friends and family and hanging yeah. out. And The relationship uh, sounds very nice otherwise. It sounds lovely. doesn't mean you have to just pretend that it didn't bother you, but I think it's also important to keep it in perspective um, and to just say, like, ah, it was kind of sad, kind of wish it was different. I will carry on with my life um, and neither try to push that feeling away nor let it snowball into something else. This next one. You were saying earlier you thought might have been a movie. I was just trying to figure out if it was or not. But I know what you mean. It seems very cinematic. Right. And that's part of what's funny because I had gotten that question this morning I was telling you about in the live chat that didn't strike me as especially cinematic. It was about somebody who writes romance novels, has been doing surprisingly well, um, and is able to quit their day job, uh, but their family is suspicious of their income um, because they don't want to tell their quite conservative family that they write erotica. And so... Their family is also worrying that they might be, like, selling drugs because a number of years ago they had had a drug problem. And I thought, like, oh, that's a slightly exciting problem but, like, plausible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then somebody else was like, this is part of the plot of Lethal Weapon 4, which really I didn't see coming. I I thought it was a very plausible problem, and I thought that this one seemed more cinematic, but— Apparently, it's a very deep cut for someone trying to get your goat in the group. Who's seen Lethal Weapon 4? That's my question. Mel Gibson wrote it in. It was in 1998. It was after Braveheart. Like the, the, yeah. the thing had really, it was over, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It had uh, it Let's had a box the popularity office. of up and four. It, it had a box office of about 285 million dollars. It, it did okay. That's wild. That's a, no in 1998 money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a really that's a that's a smash hit. I will Daniel. say though, uh, I will say that there's nothing about romance novels in. Um, in the Wikipedia description of the plot. So it can't have been that significant a plot point, right? So maybe the person in the chat was telling the truth. I don't know what to say. The I thing is about the truth. The truth isn't real. The truth. It's subjective. Reality is, is not there. real. It's a projection. Would you um, <laughs> would you go ahead and read this next uh, letter while I try to find out everything I can about Lethal Weapon 4? Well, you got it. Thank you. The subject of this one is doesn't ring true. Dear Prudence, my mother abandoned me as a child and my dad died when I was eight. I was raised by a great aunt who felt no great affection for me 
and never asked me when I went off to college. Never asked after me when I went off to college. I was very lonely and got through conversations by making up stories. I would invent elaborate histories about my past. My parents were childhood sweethearts. My mother died tragically. I learned how to bake at my grandmother's knee, etc. After my first job, I went to a pawn shop and bought a diamond cross and several rings. I told people they were family heirlooms. Many years later, I married John, a widower with three older children. I finally got a family that loves me, but I feel guilty now. My stepson plans to propose to his girlfriend and asked if he could use my, quote, grandmother's ring. John is an immigrant and doesn't have anything from his family. His late wife had no family. While the diamonds are real, the ring has not seen three successful loving marriages, just my own. I spent so long talking about a happy home that I never had as a child that might have spoiled the one that I have now. Should I fess up? Did you know Joe Pesci was in Lethal Weapon 4? I think I did know that. I had no idea. Yeah, this is like re- shortly before he retired from acting, I think. Um, also, I, I have pulled up the script to Lethal Weapon 4. Thank you. And yeah, I'm, I'm right now I'm looking at Murtaugh say, uh, ever hear of Ebony Clark? Trish is Ebony Clark. Mm. And to which Riggs says, Trish, your wife Trish. She writes those cheesy sex books. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. And then it turns out Riggs has, has read some of those books. That's nice. So, um, yeah, it absolutely is a part of uh, Lethal Weapon 4. It's That's very neither pl- here nor it's, all, it's all very plausible that this uh, this cop is reading romance novels. It's all very plausible. Um, this one was really sad. And um, I hope that if this letter writer decides to talk with uh, their partner, John, about this, it's not going to be because of the ring. Like, I feel like the fact that you had come up with fantasies of a loving family to deal with your very painful childhood um, is something that you d- may decide you want to talk about because you want, you know, your your husband to know how you're doing. But and and he may also, you know, have his own response to it, which is like, I'm in some ways like I feel a little blindsided or a little hurt by realizing this now. But hopefully that wouldn't be his only reaction and that mostly he would be able to say like, I want to talk more about this. I want to know what those stories have done for you emotionally, how they've helped, how they've hurt. Let's talk more about this rather than like, I can't believe you lied to me in the way that somebody would like say if they were like lying to you about an affair. Yeah, the lies seem, they're big in some way, but in, in, in actuality pretty small. Right. It's just like, it seems like you got caught up in something for a long time. And by the time you had met John, that it was already kind of too late to maybe rewind that on just him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 like, it's also just true that, like, the, he still knows the basic truth, which is that, like, your 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 parents are out of your life. Like, one of them is actually dead. The other one, you, it sounds like, have no way of getting in contact with her. Um, so it, it's not as if you had said, like, my parents are famous race car drivers and they want to meet you next Thursday. Like, it, <sighs> I don't want to try to, like, get into the, like, the the kinds of lies and how good or bad each one is, but I just mean like in terms of biographical, just basic truths, he mostly knows the whole story. So all of which is to say, you know, he's asking for a diamond ring. He's asking for something fairly big. You can say no. It doesn't sound like you ever said like, by the way, your stepson can have the ring someday. So I want to keep that really separate. Like if the ring means something to you, Keep it. Right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the well, the ring seems like it doesn't mean much. 
I, I you know, I wasn't sure. It's like yeah. it's it, it's something she got for herself to say, like, these are my family heirlooms. These are the jewels that I want to imbue with a story. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe she got that in the sense of I can't wait to pass them down. But maybe it was just like these are like meaningful jewels that are, are helpful uh, visual aids for how I want to structure my life. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I guess. If it if it feels important to you to give him to the the ring, you certainly can. If you fucking love the ring, you never promised it to him. You can absolutely tell him, no, good luck. But you're gonna have to get your own ring. Yeah, I mean, to me, it read like, uh, not to disagree with you fully, but mm-hmm. to me, it read a bit like the. It was more like, oh, the ring. I feel bad about giving it to him while he thinks it's this thing. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I, I I agree. Like it's going it's going to unravel my humongous web of lies. Yeah. I, the guilt of this. So if if that were the case, and if you feel like I want to give him the ring, but I don't think I can give him the ring without saying something. Yeah. Like if that's where you're at, then yeah, I think by all means, now's the time to have that conversation. But I, I just also don't want you to feel it's it's not like you're confessing to like I've been secretly like running up credit card debt under your name for years or yeah. I've been cheating on you. Like it, it's it's a lie that you want to let go of and I understand that they might be among other things hurt and angry for part of it but I just also really hope that you don't feel like I'm a monster I just made up these lies for fun like you had a really difficult orphaned childhood and you told yourself stories to cope like it, it sounds like the stories that you made up you kind of started making up when you were a kid or in college maybe so again not that that means it's great if you tell a lie before you're 15 no big deal. I just, I just want you to have some compassion for yourself. I guess. Yeah, my first, my first reaction reading this was sympathy more than anything. Like, I don't, you know, this is very hard, and I think it's yeah important to take it easy on yourself here. Yeah. So maybe uh, this would probably be another um, situation where I would say maybe talk to a therapist first, or maybe if your husband is open to it, going to a couples counselor so you can figure out like how do we deal with both the fact that. You know, she lied to me for years, and that's hard. And then also, how do we address the, like, pain that underlies those lies and the, the ways in which you were desperate for a happy family? So I, I think you should tell them because I want them to know how hard this has been for you, not because I think you're such a bad, deceitful person that they need to know so that they can, like, cut you out of their lives. That said, if you also just want to give him the ring and say, like, yep, Congratulations. Here's to a fourth generation of happy marriages. You're not, I'm not going to get mad at you about that. I, I I feel tons of sympathy for you. There's no one they're ever going to meet where they're going to like come up against this story like it's not hurting anyone. Only tell them if you feel like it's really really bothering you and making you feel isolated. If you actually feel like you can just give them the ring and keep going with it, keep going with it. You have my full permission. I haven't done that in a while. I haven't given a letter yeah. writer like my full permission to just keep going if they want to. Yeah. So. That's, yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. And um, my my parents are famous race car drivers and we're meeting them next Tuesday is actually the plot of Lethal Weapon 5. Fuck. <laughs> is Joe Pesci one of the race car drivers? He's both of them. Man. That man. He has <laughs> such range. Such range. Such range. Yeah. I and mean, just, you know, good luck. I, I really hope that if and when you decide to talk to your your husband and then eventually your, your stepson about this, it's... um. Both you can apologize for for keeping this from them, but also just letting them know that like this was really, really hard for you. Um, and that you know, you you can say, like, I'm really embarrassed that I did this. I started doing it at a pretty young age because I wanted it to be desperately tr- I wanted it to be true desperately. Um, and then 
I, I just felt too embarrassed and ashamed. Let us know how that goes. I would love to hear from you in a while, whatever you decide to do. Um, and either way, he still gets a free real diamond ring, which is great. That's true. All right. Uh, next one is pretty straightforward. I think uh, I have a very clear answer for this one. Yeah. And so I will read it and then I will tell them my answer. The subject is monolingual in a bilingual workplace. Dear Prudence, is this too small an annoyance to bring up at work? Nine months ago, I started on a team of about 15 people in a semi-open concept office in Virginia. Four of my coworkers, including my nearest office mate, are from India. All speak English well, although not as their first language. Overall, the environment is good. I like my job and I like my coworkers. However, my Indian coworkers tend to gather at my neighbor's desk and socialize in another language. From the tone, I can tell it's not work-related. I usually just stay glued to my computer while five feet away, people are having a conversation I can't take part in. When it gets distracting, I'll use headphones, but then I worry I look antisocial. On the one hand, I appreciate our cultural diversity, and I want my colleagues to feel comfortable. On the other hand, the non-English gossiping makes me feel uncomfortable and excluded. Is there a professional way to encourage English, or will I inevitably come across as a xenophobic jerk? You are making some gestures, Matt, I, uh, that I'm really enjoying. Uh, my first my first thought reading this question was, you did not know what language they were speaking. You just said, not English. Uh, India has something like 30 scheduled languages, mm-hmm. I think. There's, uh, a, there's a lot, yeah. There's a lot of them. Um, and like, perhaps you could you could try to at least talk to them and figure out that kind of, you know, where are they from? What language are they speaking? Get to know them, and maybe they'll gossip with you. So uh, I think that that's a great idea. And I also want to add to that. um, There's some legal information that you should be aware of, letter writer. Mm. Um, I'm right now on the uh, EEOC website, which is the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. um, And there are actually laws about trying to mandate English only in the workplace. And um, Perhaps unsurprisingly, the law is not on your side. Um, The EEOC has stated that rules requiring employees to speak only English in the workplace violate the law unless the employer can show that they are justified by business necessity. Um, And there's a little subheader which says a rule requiring employees to speak only English in the workplace at all times, including breaks and lunchtime, will almost never be justified. Um, but circumstances in which an English-only rule may be justified include communication with customers, emergencies, or other situations in which workers must speak a common language to promote safety, cooperative work assignments in which the English-only rule is needed to promote efficiency, and that even if there is a need for an English-only rule, an employer may not take disciplinary action against an employee for violating the rule unless the employer has notified workers about the rule and the consequences of violating it. So, I'm not suggesting that you will be clapped in jail the second you say something, but I am saying legally you would be on very shaky ground if you attempted to uh, convince any of your coworkers that they have to speak English every time you're in the room. Yeah. If part of what you just want is to sometimes chat with your coworkers, that I think is a great impulse. And uh, to further that, I would just say maybe occasionally stop by somebody else's desk and ask how they are doing. Yeah. There's also a, there's, the other thought I had was there's a number of languages in India that uh, there's a really good chance that the language they are speaking with each other is not even their first language. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe pick up some words. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I if you're know, curious, like, ask yeah. them to teach you a couple of words. Um, Take them could, out for lunch. Yeah. Man. Like there's also, the, the, the other thought was there's 15 people on the team. This yeah. is four of them. They are far from where they grew up. Yep. They are finding community in the place that they are all living together in America, which is a scary place for immigrants, mm-hmm. especially if you are not a white immigrant. 
Um, so perhaps just let them have it and put on your headphones. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Or like, yeah, like let them have it and then also occasionally like, you know, start your own conversations. Yeah. But I don't think that you're going to feel less excluded by trying to shut this down, which I totally agree. It sounds yeah. like morale boosting, relieving kind of a nice break from the rest of the workday. I don't think that you're going to get any closer to any of your colleagues by saying, you know, speak English when you're not talking to me. In in part because it's just like you you weren't a part of that conversation anyways. Um, but I think especially that bit about from the tone, I can tell it's not work-related. You don't even know what language it is. I, I don't know that you can tell from the tone. Like, yeah. I'm tone sounds very, very different. It's possible they're speaking about work, but in a more informal tone than they do at other times. Um, you, you can't say, I know for sure. They couldn't possibly be talking about, like, how the printer is always breaking or something <laughs> and be like, man, that— that wacky printer. Like, <laughs> I've, I've had lots of conversations about work-related issues in a very, like, informal tone of voice in my life. So I, I'm skeptical of your belief that you can tell without a shred of doubt what they're talking about. Um, but, yes, I agree with you that there's just – there's better ways to try to get what you want. And if you try to get what you want by saying never speak any language that isn't English in the workplace, even if you're just taking a break and standing around a friend's desk, that's just a great way to be an asshole. Yeah, or – Talk to the boss, which you should not do. Yeah, if you really appreciate the cultural diversity and you want your colleagues to feel comfortable, let them sometimes speak in a, a language that you don't understand. And if you really want to get to know them better, uh, sometimes engage them in conversation. Great. That was easy. That was easy peasy. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 